Hi again, everyone, and welcome in to the Locked on Reds podcast, episode 1000. I'm James Rapine, and I recorded the first ever episode of Locked on Reds on February 20th, 2018. I'm Jeff Carr, and I began recording episodes for Locked on Reds December 31st of 2018. Hi there, Steve Offenbaker here. I joined the Locked On Reds podcast this year, January 3rd, 2022. And here we are, 1,000 episodes in. The 1,000th episode of Locked On Reds starts right now. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day. You are locked on Reds for the 1000th time. I'm your host, Jeff Carr. Like I mentioned a moment ago, thank you for checking out the Locked On Reds podcast as we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks again for making us your first listen. Make sure that you are subscribed and you're following us on all platforms and you're following Locked On Bengals on all platforms as we get training camp. I mean, we're in the middle of training camp. I can't wait till Saturday. Going to be down to back together Saturday. And we've got a bit of a crossover here. Locked On Reds and Locked On Bengals. We're going to talk Reds and Bengals and how the roles have kind of shifted within the city because for the longest time, the city of Cincinnati was unquestionably a baseball town, but circumstances are setting themselves in motion that it's kind of moving toward a football town. And we're going to talk to James Rapine from Locked On Bengals about that right now. And when we look at this city, James and Steve, I think that part of it is obviously the Super Bowl, but I think a huge part of it is Joe Burrow. There is no Joe Burrow on the Cincinnati Reds. No, there aren't many Joe Burrows, period. And so <laughs> you're right. When you get a Joe Burrow, or as Mike Brown put it earlier this week, a lucky penny that is quite shiny. And I think he said a shiny lucky penny, but whatever the case is. <laughs> uh, when you get that, you got to take advantage of it. And I'll give the Bengals credit. They have certainly done that. I mean, things that I have talked about for years on Locked on Bengals, dating back to 2016 when it launched, they're doing those things now. Spending in free agency, uh, being really aggressive in, in building around this franchise star in Joe Burrow. And I, I think that that, especially in 2022, when we're about stars and quarterbacks are as big of stars as they've ever been in the history of the NFL, I think that matters a ton and the Bengals have done a great job. And Steve, when you look at the Reds, really the organizational philosophy seems to have caught up with them because for years it was almost like, what can the Bengals do to be like the Reds? And now that is flipped. You know, there was a time where in the sports world in Cincinnati, Mike Brown was probably the most hated man in town, uh, especially through that period in the 1990s into the 2000s where the Cincinnati Bengals were the worst professional sports franchise across any sport, uh, you know, based on the win loss record. So you take that time period 
and and you look at what was going on in the city. The Reds are coming off a World Series win. Uh, Cincinnati always considered a baseball town, the birthplace of professional baseball. They really hyped that up. It's always been considered, you know, baseball nirvana, so to speak, for for people to to come and and take part in these traditions of Cincinnati baseball. And you know, the Castellini family came in, and you know, they made some grandiose promises, and they said a bunch of different things, but. Uh, they haven't really accomplished very much. And, you know, their community outreach stuff has been pretty good. But I think they have really overseen a shift in how this city views its sports. And is Cincinnati a football town? I think we're definitely getting there if we're not already there between what the Bengals have done, what the Bearcats have done, and and what this ownership group with the Reds has done to undo, you know, all these years of history and tradition in Cincinnati baseball. I mean, it's it's not fun to tell a person you're a Reds fan right now. Right, and I think that it's important to note, I mean, it's not as if the Reds and the Bengals are competing for fans in the city, but really fans are looking at these two teams and they're like, well, you know what, Reds, just get me to training camp at this point, which, by the way, it's training camp this week. And now we're not even sure if they can do that. The plan just isn't there when you're talking about the Cincinnati Reds, especially when you look at anything outside of convincing me that it's just about the bottom line, that there's some kind of spreadsheet that they're trying to meet this arbitrary number of a payroll. And that's really where they're getting their entire plan from. Meanwhile, kind of like you said, Mike Brown spoke the other day to the media and he was saying all the right things. I don't know that I've ever said that in my entire life <laughs> as a Cincinnati sports fan, but Mike Brown said all the right things the other day. And meanwhile, across the way on the other side of the banks, you have an ownership group that anytime somebody speaks from that, they can't say anything that anyone wants to hear. And, and, and so there's a couple things here. One, going back to the first part, you don't need a Joe Burrow in baseball to be really good and competitive and get this fan base excited. You don't actually need that. You know what you need? You need players that uh, you, you know can put you in a position to win two thirds of the time. And yep. that, that's just how it works. You're gonna win a third, lose a third. What about that other third? Can you win 80% of those, those games? Because if so, then you're gonna be competitive. And guess what? Reds fans, they love the Reds and wanna be there for them. But you're right, Jeff, it's, it's two things. It's not just losing. It's questioning ownership right now. And, and something that Phil Castellini said, the where are you going to go comments, obviously got all the hype. But he said, oh, well, same day. He's like, well, look at the Bengals and how quickly things have changed. And that sounds good. But at some point, the Bengals said, and it was probably when they realized that Joe Burrow was special, we have to switch some things up. We have to go towards winning more and finding ways to get an indoor practice facility, to maximizing our dollars in free agency, to doing all of these things. Because one guy doesn't make a team in baseball. It isn't the NBA, it isn't the NFL where the quarterback, if you don't have a great quarterback, you're probably not winning a Super Bowl. In baseball, it needs to be a process. And when you can't, or you question at least, whether ownership wants to win or not, it's hard to buy into that process, even if there are things that are being done correctly on the GM side. Even if that's happening, you look up and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, but the, the guys above him aren't necessarily going all in or willing to go all in on winning. And that's, that's the scary part. That's the concerning part. You know, James, I, I wonder, 
and I would love to get your thoughts on this. The Reds and the Bengals both have a couple of guys at the at the head of the ship that are that are captaining this thing that are in their 80s in Mike Brown and Bob Castellini. And we're starting to see the next generation of these ownership groups uh, assert themselves and take more control and do more things. You know, obviously over on the Bengal side, you've got Katie Blackburn and Elizabeth doing a lot of the outreach and the media type things. Uh, on the red side, Phil Castellini really tried to assert himself going into last offseason, and he has just failed miserably uh, in creating, as you mentioned, this this perception that that he's been able to turn the fan base against the ownership group in an epic way very very quickly when you look at this next generation of of ownership group uh who's really driving the ship over there at paul brown stadium is it still is i mean i guess mike brown's still in charge but these things that the Bengals are doing that has been so embraced by the city and so many people are saying, look, finally, the Bengals are doing things right. Is that Mike Brown or is that this new generation coming in and really taking control of things? It's a hybrid. Uh, I think the new generation certainly is, is in control, right? Katie Blackburn does all the contracts and is, is really negotiating alongside Duke Tobin uh, all of the, the minutia that comes with manning the front office. But Mike Brown certainly still signs off on things, signs off on the Ring of Honor, signs off on, oh, yeah, we should get this player, signs off on, on draft picks and things like that. So he's still there. He's still in control. But, you know, and Katie Blackburn's been in that role for a while now, and so Duke Tobin. I think the difference, a big difference, especially with uh, the fan outreach part of it, like you mentioned, is Elizabeth Blackburn. I think that as a grandparent... It is harder to say no to your grandchild, which Mike has talked about. I'm nowhere near grandkids. I'm nowhere near kids, but grandkids. Uh, I think it's harder than to say no to your kid, which you say no to them really from the day they're born about something because they're always trying to get into something. Grandparents don't do that. And so I think that's the other part of this. I also think Mike probably got sick of losing from 2016 to 2019. And he saw Joe Burrow and he realized this is probably my last chance at making a run at it. Let's change some things and let's get it right. So I think he does deserve credit. I also think the entire family deserves credit. And naturally, when you luck out and you do land a Joe Burrow with the first pick, it helps a ton. The next generation of Reds ownership is moving in and there is one key thing that they can do to fix all of this. We're going to dive into what that is coming up here in just a moment. But the thing that you need to dive into for your sports card collecting hobby is the Sports Card Investor app. Whether you have an iPhone or an Android, check it out on the App Store and the Google Play Store for free. It has all of the resources that you need. It's going to help you monitor the market on your favorite players. And if you're looking to fill out your collection, they've got great links to eBay auctions and things like that. They're going to show you recent sales and you could probably take advantage of a card that maybe has seen its value go down a little bit. Plus, if you have cards to sell, you can find out how best to take advantage of the market. It's all about sports card collecting on the Sports Card Investor app. They have over 600,000 cards, whether you're talking about baseball, football, basketball, and they even have like Marvel and celebrity cards too. Check them out today, the Sports Card Investor app. Go to sportscardinvestor.com slash locked on to download it today. Plus, you can find it on the App Store and the Google Play Store for absolutely nothing because it's completely free and it's going to help you fill out your collection. That's the Sports Card Investor app. 
Thank you for making Lockdown Reds 1,000th episode your first listen of the day. On the 1001th episode tomorrow, we will have Peter Pratt on from Locked On Marlins to break down this Reds-Marlins series. All the way from across the pond will be Peter for episode 1001 of Locked On Reds, which you can make sure to not miss as you are subscribed on all platforms, including YouTube. All right, let's jump back into our conversation with James Rapine. And that's something, too, that I think that the Reds can take away from the Bengals because we're always talking about, all right, what, what can the Reds emulate from across the banks? Because it's obvious the Bengals have their finger on something, and that is the biggest part, is that ownership in sports, especially in baseball, where there is no salary cap and it's all based on what your ownership wants to put into the team, ownership has to do two things. Number one, it has to really set a limit as to what the roster can be. And it kind of feels like some teams set it lower than others, but you look at the Rays, the number doesn't matter for the Rays. They're always competitive. What the Rays do and what the Bengals have done, as you just said, is their ownership gets out of the way. The ownership puts people in place that they trust and that they know can do the job and they let them do the job. I feel like there's been lots of evidence over the last, at least the last decade, maybe even further back of, okay, there's something that's about to take place, but it gets nixed at the top. It gets nixed on the cutting board and they just don't quite make it to that deal. Like we can talk about some different trades that the Reds made the last seven years where you're like, boy, they waited too long. And you can point to a specific event as to why they waited so long. Well, we wanted to see a Rodas Chapman come out of the bullpen doors of the all-star game at Great American Ballpark. Well, we wanted to see you know, people celebrate Jay Bruce's milestone this and, and Johnny Cueto, you know, he had to stick around for 2015 because the Reds were really going to do something then. There's all of this different stuff that it feels like if ownership was to put the right regime in the front office that could operate independently and with the budget that ownership sets forth, then the Reds could really take off. But there's always going to be that element of, well, at the end of the day, who's signing off on this decision? And is that person really going to make this decision work? Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's the part of it. When you, you look at the structure, it's, they're going to have to show it. In the past decade, you brought it up. I, I was very critical of the Reds, and this was pre-locked on Reds, but <laughs> of them uh, holding on to those guys from the 2010 through 2013 run too long baseball you get old in a hurry in sports in general you get old in a hurry and with baseball if you hold on to multiple guys you have a Joey Votto under contract it's it's really hard to after those big money guys get old if they don't have trade value it's it's really hard to to rebuild reload and so they went through this whole reloading process and it was like here we go and COVID happened and I get it and it hurt them and they make the playoffs, late season run, can't have fans in the stand. It's a real pain. I get it. Understand it. But you were telling fans for more than half a decade that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then that was the, the big act. That's just, that's, that's hard to sell, right? Because how many runs did they score in the postseason? You guys tell me. Ooh, none. Zero. Oh, I know. See, think about that. Hey, uh, we suck in 2014. But in 2020, we're going to get to the postseason and we're not going to score a run. And then we're going to be bad again because we just can't sustain this because I, I just it's hard for fans 
to buy into that. Now, if they had cut budget and they were winning, they look like geniuses. Guess what? It's hard to do that. It's hard to, to completely slash things and still be not just competitive, but be a, a really good team. And, and so it's, uh, I'm not trying to, to poo-poo the Reds. I just think that they've put their fan base through a lot for very little gain over the past eight, nine years. Yeah, Steve, it's kind of hard for uh, any sports franchise to say we're going to pay less and win more because I don't see a whole lot of success around sports for teams who say that a lot. <laughs> well, no, and, and they're saying things this year that if they follow through on, and that's really been the breakdown, the breakdown has always been in their follow through. They've, they've talked a good game for a long, long time, but the follow through is what's been lacking. Now, what they're saying is we're going to move to a model where we're not going to be attached to players. We're going to trade them when they have a couple of years of team control left. We're going to start flipping guys. We're going to build the prospect base and we're going to churn just like Tampa. Well, that's great to say. Now they have to do it. And uh, the writing's on the wall a little bit. They trade Castillo this trade deadline and Tyler Malley goes and they bring in another boatload of prospects to go with the boatload of prospects they brought in this offseason. Well, then maybe they mean it. And now the trick will be to put some smart baseball people in place, get the hell out of the way, and let's put together a cheap young talented team in 2024 which is where i think they're going so it's all about execution at this point they have to get it right that, that's that's the part and, and i agree with i mean i don't think they have to be bad for another half decade to be good again but they the the margin for error you're gonna have to get it right you're gonna have to continue to add young talent and you can't say we'll be great in 2028 it's gonna have to be much sooner so 2024 can you get behind that if they, they continue to flash a little bit uh, over the next few months and then next year they show signs? Yeah, I mean, there's reasons to watch this team and be interested in this team, no doubt about it. I, I don't have to mention Jonathan India. You guys probably do it a hell of a lot on this pod, <laughs> right? So there are reasons, but those reasons don't make up for the fact that this season and, and really the off season and, and really, like I said, the past eight to nine years, that equity is completely gone, and they're in, they're in the negative right now, and they have to rebuild it with the fan base, and I think that's going to take some time. Yeah, it's not just rebuilding the roster. It's rebuilding the trust from the fans because, I mean, we've seen the numbers have gone straight down when you're talking about folks who are at the ballpark. Meanwhile, numbers are going to go straight through the roof. I, I did a uh, tour the other day of the stadium at Paul Brown for a season ticket thing, and I felt like there were more people at this tour than there were at any Reds game that I've been to so far this season. And it's a lot to do with the, the product on the field, the guys who are going to be here. So the Bengals have said that they want to keep Joe Burrow and his three favorite targets. We're going to tell you whether or not we think that can actually happen. Plus, we're going to look at who the next face of the franchise will be for the Cincinnati Reds. That's all coming up here in just a moment. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Carr with three Fs, and you can follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. You can also follow the show at Locked On Reds as we are here all the time. You can also follow us on Discord. Join the Discord server. The link will be down here in the description. You can also, go, I think you can go on Discord and search Lockdown Reds as well. We're doing a little group therapy during the games and just kind of talking about the Reds. That's all on Discord and on Twitter. Follow us along 
in between episodes. All right, let's get back and finish our conversation with James Rapine here. So I know that you're going to cover this a lot and you do this a lot on Lockdown Bengals, but I just want, you know, your quick thoughts after Joe Burrow. Uh, they Mike Brown said the thing of, yeah, we want to keep all three wide receivers. We don't just want to keep Jamar Chase and T. Higgins or Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. We want to keep all three of them. Who is the least likely to still be here out of those three? Because I think that that is an amazing thing to say that you got Joe Burrow and all his favorite weapons, but you do still have to pay for a lot of other things on a football team. Yeah, I think, you know, some may say T. Higgins. He's got the same agent as Jesse Bates. And he's going to command a lot of money. I'm thinking, you know, maybe the Terry McLaurin type deal, three years, uh, 70 plus million dollars uh, could be the realm. And it might be higher by the time T is eligible for an extension next offseason. But I'm going to say Tyler Boyd for a few reasons. One, he'll be 30. He's, he's, got, he's under contract for two years. But they can save against the cap if they decided to move on after this season. And I love Tyler Boyd. I remember talking to him when he got drafted. I, I think he's a good dude. I think he's a really, really good player. But of the two, what, what is harder to find and which one is, is younger? And yeah, they're going to cost more, but which one matters more to you winning? And a slot receiver, you can find productive slot receivers. What's really hard to find is a guy like T. Higgins, who to me and I think to the Bengals, might have been the top receiver. If he was in this draft, the 2022 NFL draft, might have been the top receiver in this draft. And if not, he would be number two. So think about that. Like, And they got him at 33rd overall. They love T. Higgins. And so I think they obviously they're going to keep Burrow. They'd be insane not to keep a freak like Chase. And I think they're going to do really everything they can to get a T. Higgins deal done. Because if you keep that trio together, you're talking about potentially a better version of the the Colts when they had Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne. Are we sure Jamar Chase isn't going to be better than than, uh, Marvin Harrison? Because I think he could be. Are we sure T. Higgins isn't going to be better than Reggie Wayne? Might be, and I don't want to go there with Burrow yet, but could happen. And so uh, that would be my answer, and I probably went longer than you wanted me to, but that's that's my answer. Let's spin that back to the Reds now because uh, we've heard this ownership group again talk about uh, going to a new model and they're gonna they're gonna trade people and they're gonna they're gonna do things differently. My hope though is that they identify a guy to make the next face of the franchise and keep around for the career. Uh, we we seen a passing of the torch uh, along the way for many many years you know Barry Larkin was the face of this franchise and he was the guy and then Joey Votto became the face and the guy and Joey's days are are almost done Uh, whether that's a year from now or two years from now there's not a lot of time left so if the Reds were to to follow through on that and make a next face of the franchise a next guy to keep around uh, can you see anybody on this roster being being worth keeping you know is it jonathan india is it tyler stevenson and his his injury problems this year uh who jumps out at you as being the guy that for for lack of a better way to compare it can be the joe burrow face of the franchise for the reds moving forward well it's tough i think as of today it would be jonathan india right uh you could certainly say tyler stevenson i think hunter green would like a word and i know uh you know in a year (laughs) or two we could feel that way right Uh, But I I don't know if you need that. 
Barry Larkin at the end of the Red, his Reds tenure hurt the Reds. Would have been better if he signed with the Mets, right? Remember that deal, the trade and everything mm-hmm. that happened, and then he came back. I think it was three years, $27 million. Joey Votto, I don't think he's necessarily hurting the Reds right now, but it's not, you know, it's not like he's for helping them win a bunch of games. And so it's a net negative, yeah. I, yeah, I, I just to me, if there was a guy, it would probably be Jonathan India right now. But that doesn't mean you need to pay for thirty-two to forty. Maybe mm-hmm. just you know be a little ageist in baseball because how many of those big contracts work? I was a proponent. I covered the Indians for a bit, the Guardians now, um, and Francisco Lindor. Heck, I remember telling people, I think I told Jeff, I was like, hey, they should trade for him. And Francisco Lindor, man, he's a baller. Well, how's that contract looking for the Mets? So mm-hmm. I, I think there can be faces, but in the Reds, I, I think are gonna, this is part of the reason why they slashed like they did. They want to create a pipeline. And I just don't know how good they are front office-wise to get that done, but I understand it because... The big money deals, especially for a team like the Reds, a mid-market Midwest team, it's probably – see, notice I didn't say small market, by the way. I'm giving Cincinnati <laughs> some love. A mid-market team, some, most of the time in baseball at least, they don't necessarily work out. Yeah, I, I think that there's really going to be an argument to be had next year because he's going to be a lot better. I think he's going to add that change up in the third pitch, and I think it's going to be Hunter Green because I think you look at the Dodgers and you think Clayton Kershaw. You don't think a position player. They just got Freddie Freeman, so you don't think about him. You maybe could argue Mookie Betts, but I think Dodgers fans would tell you it's Clayton Kershaw. And it I still think have... Red Sox. Yeah, I still think Red Sox. Yeah, you still think Red Sox when mm-hmm. you think Mookie Betts. You well, and Red Sox fans still think Mookie Betts, and they're just like, oh, why did we trade him? Because uh, <laughs> they're a big market team. That didn't make any sense. But yeah, I, I think that it could be a pitcher like Hunter Green. But I'm with you. I, I think that. The Reds have to adopt a mentality that they cannot be top-heavy with their contracts, and they can't just have a couple of guys up top. Because this year, the two most expensive guys on the roster were Joey Votto and Mike Moustakas. Moose! And the two most valuable guys on the team so far this year have not been either one of those guys. It's been Luis yeah. Castillo and um, Tyler Malley, I think, is number two in... But yeah, it's like it's one of those things where the money doesn't always mean that's your best dude, and you don't necessarily want to hamstring yourself too bad. I, I'd like to see the next face of the franchise be Tyler Stevenson, but I think it's going to be Hunter Green. Yeah, I, I think that when it comes to this, two things. One, if they build it right, you're right, it'll be a pipeline, and, and that's what they're hoping to have. But they also have to be ready to hit that, that Nas button, right? Which once they have a, a competitive team, if there is a trade that can put them over the top, they still have to be all in on winning, not just being competitive, right? Not, uh, you know, we want to, what was it? The ebbs and flows comment from month to Peaks and valleys, yeah. Peaks and valleys, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want all the peaks. So yeah. when it's time to peak, damn it, you better go all in on it. And now is not that time. I understand that. But if they build this the right way, they're still going to have to be aggressive. And I think that's the part. It just There's so many question marks. It can work. I've seen it work. And yet I, you know, across the league, you mentioned the race. Um, but can you get to that next level where 
all right, you're, you're in first place, but you need to add another piece at the deadline. And hopefully we're talking about that at 20, in 24 or 25, about them being really aggressive and, and being a legitimate World Series contender. Because I don't care about the Central. I'm talking about World Series. I've not seen a World Series in my life. Okay, 91 was when I was born, 1990. 95 was fun. My favorite Reds team ever is 99. They didn't even freaking make it. Uh, 2013's a lot of fun and a lot of heartbreak. Let's fix that with an, you know, a whole generation now, and really a second generation that hasn't seen you do much. That's the that's the truth. Well, I tell you what, I think that's where we need to end it because we end it on a positive note, Steve. We're looking forward to 2024 because the Reds have a shot. And if they do this right, if they get this trade deadline right, we could be talking about a baseball town again. And I think before we get out of here, since we've got James with us, the original host, the guy back from uh, his football exile, we'll call that. Uh, although I, I think Locked On Bengals is doing quite well, and, and your Bengals coverage is, is very impressive, James. Just for, for listeners that may not hear you on the regular, talk a little bit about what you do and, and how people can find you. Yeah, cover the Bengals really from all angles. You mentioned Locked On Bengals um, daily and throughout training camp. I'll be down at Paul Brown Stadium writing about the team for allbengals.com. Also on YouTube, Cincinnati Bengals Talk. So. There's a lot of videos, a lot of audio clips, and, and, and a lot of words coming your way if you're a Bengals fan. I'm excited. I cannot <laughs> wait. Going to be there every home game, man. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, thank you all so much for watching, for listening to the Lockdown Reds 1,000th episode. This has we're, – we're, we're now into, you know, the quadruple digits. This is insane to think about a lot of a lot of red stock here and hopefully we'll be talking about some good reds teams as we get to the 2000th episode we'll we'll see how that goes but james thanks for joining us and um looking forward to what lockdown Bengals has coming as the season gets going of course thanks fellas and i, I will say this the 1000th episode the 900th episode really you two it's much better now than it was when i was doing it you guys are killing it so uh keep it up i appreciate you having me this was a fun show and uh, hopefully the reds give you uh, some fun stuff to talk about in the near future. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow.